Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. And here we are once again for another instalment. One day later than usual because of the bank holiday weekend. Um, but here we are. Uh, I'm in my TMO shipping container in one part of South Manchester to another TMO shipping container in another part of South Manchester. JB? Hello, Tim. Actually, my, my shipping container has been moved about 100 miles to Barnard Castle. <laughs> and to a TMO shipping container in the leafy Cheshire suburbs where there's lots of garden space and garage but no cafes and bars that are shut for the time being Phil Largan hello hello I'm only about uh maybe two miles maybe not even that as the crow flies from your shipping container or oh, certainly yours Tim not JB's that's yeah been transported a couple of yeah. miles but a it's, it's a different world it is a different world we, now, we get gardens. Have you ventured out over the bank holiday, Tim? Have you been anywhere? Uh, no, I've, I've not been anywhere. I've, I've virtually been around... Where did I go? I've oh, virtually... been cycling. On, on your, on your <laughs> I've been cycling. I, I, did, I did a race around London. <laughs> did you really? Nice. Did you win? Yeah. Uh, no, it was like 300 people. I came about 43rd, something like that, in That's my category. Good. I was all right. I'm doing all right. I'm quite enjoying it. But, but no, I've been nowhere. <laughs> How about you? How's Barnard Castle? Barnard Castle's very, very good. But before I went there, um, I wandered around um, the fine town of Cholton. And uh, things are starting to open up. There were, there were two or three pubs open, but selling beer sort of through, through the window. As Greta Thunberg would say, nature is healing. You sure she wouldn't, <laughs> are you sure she wouldn't say, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, she, might say that all, yeah, she might say that also but yeah it's really good good good, good to see there's a lot, yeah. of people out, a lot of people in the sun responsibly in the sun uh, but finally some people can have some beers which is great no i tell a lie i went to I, I i had a little jog with the kids around the park earlier and it was and i did come back thinking that's the most normal i've felt in a long time just because the park was was full of people being responsible but it was full of people having a picnic playing tennis, playing football, buying ice creams from an ice cream van, and it just felt really normal. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm, sure, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that will sneer and say um, everyone's being irresponsible, but it didn't look like it to me. I, it was really nice. Yeah. How was your yeah. weekend, Phil? Um, good weekend overall. Um, it was my birthday on Friday. Birthday, of course. Thank of course. you. Thank you, gents. Um, which unfortunately meant I had my uh, 5K challenge to attempt um, oh yeah, sub twenty. Sub twenty was the the challenge, and about when was it? About three weeks ago, 
I no two weeks ago even I kind of went for it but not I didn't 100% commit and I got 20 minutes and two seconds and then on Tuesday of this week I went for it knowing that if I failed I had one more attempt in me on Friday and on Tuesday I tried to run every kilometer at four minute pace and then with the intention of if I just speed up the last one or two by a few seconds, I'll sneak under. And I did it. I tried kicking at the end and I just had nothing left. And oh. I, I hit it 20 minutes dead, which meant I had two days of rest and stretching and foam rolling before a final attempt on Friday on my birthday. And I went off hard, really hard, probably too hard and did like a 3.30 opening kilometer and then had four kilometers of just in absolute agony trying to hold on and hold on and hold on and managed a 1909. So, so <laughs> that's outrageous. <laughs> so unbelievably managed to do it. Um, so delighted. <laughs> so wow. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It's very good. I've earned my uh, birthday cake and barbecues and beers over the weekend. That's ridiculous, Phil. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my weekend of fun. See that 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 atrophy of your muscles through lockdown has been a good thing, hasn't it? You've got more of a runner's physique now. <laughs> oh no! Don't say that, Tim. <laughs> that's what I want to avoid. Well, I mean, one of the things that, that rugby players will be wanting to avoid uh, is, is a bit of uh, atrophy. And as, as a result, they need a bit of time to train. Uh, apparently, four to six weeks of full-on training before they are ready to play elite-level rugby again. But it looks like the, the starting gun on that might be able to start very, very soon. Yeah, so the government is late last... is midnight last night, I think I'm right in saying. Midnight on Sunday night of a bank holiday the government published its stage two release from uh, COVID for elite athletes. So I've, I've flicked through the document. It's not the most interesting document in the world. There's a lot of uh, precautionary advice, a lot of risk assessment type advice, a lot of having the processes in place to ensure that everything's clean. But it does say um, once you've followed stage one and got the right preparations of stage two in place, you can start initially with groups of two to three players for contact training, including sparring and tackling and other stuff, with then the intention to build up. And the, the guideline says build up to between four and 12 people. But if you've got 12 people, I don't see why you can't have 15 people or, or even say 16 people to do scrums or lineups or something like that. But it's, it's overall, it's good. It's starting to get back. Can't even play a game of rugby league with twelve. <laughs> twelve. Just assume that one man's in the bin. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. but well, you can you can't even play sevens actually with tw with twelve. Oh, yeah, of course, because it's like <laughs> not thirteen, is it? It'd be twenty six. Yeah, twenty six. I wonder if it's working the same way. Excuse me, that it works in schools where they have like a, they call, they call them bubbles where they have groups of ten to fifteen kids, but it's the same yeah. ten to fifteen kids. So if one of them gets it, there's only a, there's a limit to who they can spread their infection too yeah within, within that no, one group yeah and if that if you had to be in a group with two other rugby players you've got to think about this um when you're doing that <laughs> pre-season training there's there's times when you might have to do contact and you're like i don't want one of those massive lads but then on the flip side the times you do fitness out on the field it's like no i want the fat lads so yeah and there's always 
Haven't um, Quinn solved this with their uh, clique system? <laughs> <laughs> There's always the problem as well. Like you can get, when you're doing wrestling drills, like if you're doing fitness, then wrestling, or like running, then wrestling, running, then wrestling. There's always the problem that there's there's a few lads who t- always take it too seriously. They're yeah. always they're always kind of are hoping the coaches are watching or always trying to get one up. Whereas you, if you get the right person, the right partner, you can basically use the wrestling as a bit of a breather. Oh, I get the, the wrong the, part. So I'm the other way around. I take my wrestling very seriously. I use the running <laughs> as a breather. I don't lose the wrestling. <laughs> who's the who's the which was was it michael jordan in the last dance but one or it might have been rodman i can't remember who it was but one of them when they're doing a running drill and you have to run from the back to the oh, front rodman. yeah it, it was rodman you have to run from the back to the front this is after rodman got back from, rodman got back from vegas. vegas you have to run from the back to the front so most players go right take it easy at the front to give each other a an easy time of it and rodman no no sod that i'm off come <laughs> catch me was it nobody told him no, no, no. He, no, it's, I think it's just he was making a point that, yeah, I've been out for a massive party, but I can still bring it. No, the story was, and I might be wrong with this, but I don't think I am because I've got, because I'm so certain of it. And when I'm certain of things, it means I'm never wrong, right? <laughs> I thought the story was Rodman goes to Vegas. So Phil Jackson says he's going to come back. He's going to need some conditioning in a preseason. So he makes the whole team do a preseason. Jordan says, well, I'm not doing a bloody preseason. Pre- pre- and then tells all the boys to walk, but no one sold Rodman, which is why he went round and round and round. Yeah, but I, I think so. That part is right, but then I think Tim, the the um, that Rodman wanted to prove himself. So Rodman not only was um, like not adhering to the the rest of the team, slowing it down. He actually wanted to to prove that even though he's been on a forty eight hour bender with Carmen Electra and whoever else, way, he still looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair play. That's still fantastic. <laughs> Uh, what was you, when when he was when Rodman was uh, partying? They showed him drinking what was like a cloudy, drinking oh, shots of something yeah. that was cloudy. Do you know what that was? Because I could only think it would be like Perno, but surely, surely he's not drinking Perno. Perno cloudy, yeah, it is, isn't it? It looked like cloudy so lemonade. Like, uh, I don't know when was this. This was about ninety what? Uh, ninety six, ninety seven. Mid, mid yeah. to late 90s. So we're talking about the time, aren't we, around, talking around the time when everything got a little bit trendy and people started drinking stupid stuff like Aftershock and there's a lot of uh, manufactured shots out there. It could have been, could have been anything. It, yeah. I, to be honest, I don't know the, uh, the late 90s uh, Las Vegas party Probably, scene I, I'll, tell you, well. I'll tell you what it might have been because I, just, just, I think it might have been something that came through in the late 90s, bit of a novelty, Goldschlager. Goldschlager. I do remember drinking Goldschlager. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. The, the rumor on Goldschlager, or what I was told multiple times by multiple people who were very young at the time, is it, the gold flakes cut your insides, allowing you <laughs> to, uh, to absorb. The, absorb the alcohol more efficiently. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, so I definitely heard. <laughs> yeah, I definitely heard that rumor as well. I think the reality is it just makes you have a much more expensive shit. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen that for ages. No. no. Maybe it was. Anyway, if you know if you know what drink Dennis Robin was drinking in Vegas with Carmen Electra, let us know at yes, Rugby please. Podcast on Twitter. Um but uh, yeah, rugby could be back. So as it stands, um the premiership still is ha- is having the intention to complete the premiership season and Let's say, for argument's sake, it was able to start 
if they want need four to six weeks and they you know, can't get going to the middle of let's say latest start sort of end of July beginning of August let's say first of August then that, that means you could complete the season by autumn international time yeah do you know what I think might happen I think they might freeze the season and say look these are the these are the places where everyone finished we don't have enough time to complete it because the Saracens have got got some championship matches to play uh, we'll do semis and we'll do the final and that'll be it you can't, you, can't have, you can't have semis and final with the league table as it is. Why? Oh, because, well, because you're so anti-sale. No, you just can't. You can't <laughs> do that. that, that would have, there's a massive, there'd, there'd be even more of an asterisk on your title than the people who, who put asterisk next to Saracen's titles. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's already got asterisks. I mean, we've, we've already got rid of the best team in the competition by far. So you've got your first asterisk right there. And then you'd have the second asterisk because of COVID. And then your third asterisk because of the table. It was hardly a competition worth winning, to be fair. Well, I think the re- it's probably worth pointing out that I think the reason why they want the season completed is because there is broadcasting and sponsorship Wait. money on the table right now, which won't be there if it's not completed, I, <clears throat> I would yeah. assume. Yeah, uh, there'll certainly be reduced TV money if there's not a full suite of games. There has to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I just can't say how you play these games, um, and also have a preseason. Well, you won't have a preseason, but then some teams will be off while they'll. Whilst there is a playoff, not a playoff. Sorry, yeah, a playoff and then a final. I take it the European Cup's finished. Uh, it's not f- officially, but well, I, I don't think I've read that it is officially. Almost but, certainly, surely. Yeah, the, the French teams have definitely concluded their season. Yeah, yes. and are focusing on starting again next season. Yeah, so how can you play Europe? You can't, can you? Well, no. I mean, you you can do. Yeah, but it's it's a, you'd be playing different seasons at the same yeah. time potentially. That's got to be a big chunk of change for someone. If they're worried about TV money, there's a whole competition there. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but we're at the knockout stage with that. So there's a lot of clubs that. That's irrelevant too. Whereas there's there's, yeah, th- there's twelve clubs that the, the affects the Premiership, or thirteen get the benefit of the broadcasting and sponsorship money. Um, thirteen shareholders in that, and so I think there's a lot more imperative in some of these clubs. This could be. That, well, I mean, I, I imagine the way that things are when you look at or you hear about the bank balances of many rugby clubs is that they'd already spent the money that they were due to be getting anyway. Yeah, I think a lot of these clubs should go bankrupt personally. Um, you know, if you can't pay your bills, if you can't pay your players, um, you have no place in being in rugby. Uh, and that's the way that this is going. If, you, if they have to play these games, it has to be so ridiculous now. I mean, I, I, if they could play tomorrow, I'd say, yeah, let's just get the season done. If you can do some midweek games, yeah, do it. But if we, if we can't do it and they don't get the TV money and that puts some clubs under, I would say that not so much the clubs, but the owners that own these clubs should not have been in the game in the first place. Mm, it, it's, I mean, this is truly exceptional times. And you can, you can plan to run a rugby club under normal circumstances, but not um, achieve it at the moment, particularly if you've got owners who have other businesses in markets that are falling apart, like retail or hospitality markets. Yeah, um, I, I would say, do you have that same opinion about, um, say, a pub? If a pub can't, yeah. if a pub can't uh, sell enough beer because it has to have two meters between every customer, therefore it has to 
have one fifth of the of the amount of customers it normally can. If it if it can't survive on one fifth of the traders, then it should just go bankrupt. Um, let me think about that a second. It, so my opinion is yes, actually the the pub market is dramatically different because it's it is so much easier to to fold a pub restart. I mean, just look at the the sh- pubs and restaurants in Charlton. It's not, in, in my opinion, it's not as easy to get a rugby club with the fan base and the location would, and the ground yeah. and the everyone oh, else. Yeah, you're absolutely right. To the top I level. would say this about a pub, right? And this is why it's a fairly good analogy in some respects to a rugby club. If a pub goes under, there is a high chance that that pub will either rebrand or just reopen with different ownership. And that's where we are with rugby. So if, for instance, Leicester Tigers went under tomorrow, Leicester Tigers as an institutional club would survive, but the business behind it would go under. And those are the, um, those are the businesses that I have a problem with at this point in time because of the cuts in player, in, in player salaries. And because most of the premiership, frankly, is owned by billionaires, not millionaires, billionaires. There's about nine of them that I think can definitely afford it. Two of them, two or three, which are a bit iffy. But actually, these owners who own the clubs made a commitment to pay their players, and they should pay them. Where, it, where they are very rich owners, which is a position that you've got in football. Now, I, I don't know the, the, the wealth and the backing of the, the rugby clubs, but I, the point is, if, if you've got a billionaire owning it, they should be stumping up some cash, Yeah, I, I, in, in, my, in my opinion. In my opinion, um, well, yeah, I, it depends on the club and it depends who um, uh, who owns them, right? But if you actually look at who does own them, like Steve Lansdowne, and actually, in fairness to Steve Lansdowne, he has come out and said, um, partic- well, he's been particularly vocal on the on the, salary cap, not salary and the marquee cap. players, Thank you, the uh, 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 the marquee stuff. But if you just go through the list through the list of owners. Many of them are more than capable of, um, of, of paying, and they should do. And my problem is, if they don't pay, um, they shouldn't be allowed to keep the, keep the shares in, in, in that club. It's okay not to, not to pay, but you can't keep the shares in that club, and you can't well, continue to benefit from the growth. I would just say, I don't think you can detach the two. You're trying to say, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't, they shouldn't try and restart the league season, and if they can't afford it, then tough. But on the flip side, a lot of them might be looking at it going... Oh yeah, we can just about scrape through as long as we get the TV money for this season. Well, if they can't, if they can't scrape through, they should be saying, either we're going to borrow to pay you, or are we going no, to sell shares? Forget about players. I'm, t- I'm talking about just like clubs more generally and, and, and restarting this particular season. Yeah, because that, that is yeah. what we want to see. Like, I, I want to see, uh, see a satisfactory conclusion to this season. And I then want to see us move on to, to next season. And now, if it is by satisfactory conclusion, it might not necessarily be, mean that we play all nine games this season, um, all remaining nine games and then the playoffs. It might be a curtailed version of that. Um, and it might mean some changes to the overall number of games next season, both of which I would be broadly happy with, as long as it keeps the general integrity of the league and we get a conclusion and we get more rugby sooner rather than later. Yeah. I, I think potentially what might happen is this league season gets concluded by mid to the end of October. Then the then there's a break while the inter, autumn internationals happen, and then the league restarts in December, new season, 
without a European Cup for next season so that it can finish by the time the Lions comes around. Yeah, so in that scenario, you definitely need... And well, there's travelling involved in that as well. Yeah, but in that scenario, you need... Even getting rid of the European Cup, you need a shortened season, I would assume. It's just too much rugby, isn't there? It's just... it, the, and the, the problem you'd have... Um, you wouldn't have a break between... like Certainly for those players who are playing autumn internationals, you probably wouldn't have a break. So you, you've got to do something... And whether I mean one of the one of the solutions that I don't actually hate um, from a, a playing integrity side, not from a, um, a watching fan perspective, is you don't have a 2019-2020 season and a 2020-2021 season. You have a 2019-2021 season, and basically February next year you start you you finish off this season. But that does mean a full 12 months with no revenue. And that's from a, from a sporting integrity perspective, I like that. But I know it can't work. And as, and as, as, GB, as, as JV mentioned, Saracens might be uh, due to play games in Euro- <laughs> yeah. Europe, the Championship and the Premiership all at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Which, I mean, the whole thing is just a mess. And yeah, no, I sort of think that this is one of those things where no one could have. No one could have predicted COVID, so you can't blame anyone for that. But it's almost like leaving your house, isn't it? Uh, driving to, say, I don't know, Bond Castle, but not bothering to pack a spare, uh, a spare tire. Like, yeah, you can't be blamed for getting a puncture, but you can be blamed for not being adequately prepared for having a, pun- um, a puncture. And I just think that rugby's got itself in this situation where we've got too much rugby. You know, if something goes wrong, I mean, uh, the awful events of, um, I'm just trying to think of uh, when um, Foley died just before just before the wrestling game. Everyone was scratching around, thinking, "Where the hell do we fit in this game?" Uh, like, like it, any small disruption in um, in normal life is a huge disruption in rugby. We've got to get 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 over this to make the competitions less fragile. Um, and maybe that is something that can happen although i don't think it will but maybe that's something that can happen with the global season you can actually build in some resilience into the scheduling but because because rugby financially as we've seen is so fragile they've got to get as much revenue as they can wherever they can and the way that they're um, addressing that problem at the moment is more games and that's not it's not always the best long-term um, option. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's it's tricky. That, I mean, it is really tricky. That that point does bring us on to the. Um, so Sanzar and the Six Nations have agreed on some key principles to that they um, want to see from the World Rugby Global Calendar. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't tell you a huge amount. It, it's broadly where you'd expect them to be. It's talks about alignment aligning the player release windows and the playing windows for the six nations and the the rugby championship it talks about improved player welfare it talks about um basically more money generating a competitive narrative that is marketable um and it does talk about um restoring public faith in the core values of rugby so what's sorry (laughs) Restoring public faith in the core values of rugby. 
that's that's the statement. What does that yes. mean? Can someone tell me what that means? Um, what are the well, what what does it mean to well, you? What, what are the core values? values? What what, 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 do you, what do you think the core values of rugby are? Um, what are the core hold values? on, I, I can answer for JB. JB's answer is bully your opponent. Um, yes. Drink hard. <laughs> yeah, drink hard. Yeah. Five five star hotels on yeah. the RFU's dime. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what these. I hate this so much because I don't know what it means. It means so many different things to different to, to different people. <laughs> like you could literally mold so-called rugby values into whatever narrative that you're trying to spin. Yeah, I mean, so okay. it, it could be it could be skills and uh, looking after children. It means uh, equality for everyone except people with strongly held religious beliefs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, means, it means be kind, but cut players' wages by 25%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. talk about welfare. I, mean, I just don't know. Be kind, but, but demand a player never plays again when they do a bit of a stupid joke yeah, that, in a that, game. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I, I just I hate the idea... I don't even know, if I don't know what the core values are, how can you reinforce them? And by the way, what is your mechanism for, re- uh, for reinforcing them? What are we going to do? Uh, create a new calendar. Create a new calendar. Yeah. I despair this So apart, apart from item number seven on the list, the rest of them seem sensible. Yeah. Yeah, the rest of them seem sensible. I'm actually quite in favour of them exploring this a bit more. Because everything is everything's um, up up for grabs now. You know, I I said previously, I'm I'm not wedded to when the six when the Six Nations. Sorry, I've got awful hay fever. When the Six Nations is played, um, don't move it for the sake of moving it. Show me at least some some evidence that this might work. But if it does work, well, why not? Yeah, and no, I'm I'm definitely in favour of of considering the calendar a bit better because I, I do I think it's a bit of a mess at the moment. Yeah, and having the um, not certainly the northern hemisphere teams like if you look at their calendar from a january it's premiership heineken six nations premiership heineken summer tour a few weeks off in the summer pre-season premiership heineken um autumn internationals yeah. premiership heineken it's it just like there's no coherent no. Str- like narrative throughout the season for what no, and it makes and it makes sense it, from one year to the next to have a certain window of time. Oh, that's the World Cup in in 2023, but in 2021 that little window is a Lions tour, or in 2022 that is uh, an Autumn International window, or or whatever the case may be. It just it makes sense to sort of standardise those. That's international rugby there. It could be a major world tournament. It can be a regional tournament it, or whatever. Um, there that, is that, element, sorry, sorry, Tim. No, no, no. Quite, no, it's all right. Crack on. Um, I think there's an element here of like, swimming, up, hang on. swimming upstream is hard, isn't it? Swimming downstream is easy. Yeah. <laughs> swimming, yes. up, swimming upstream. Which is to say that you can make all of these changes, all the changes that you want. And I guess the idea is to rebalance the... Uh, financial realities of rugby to make sure there's more competitive tier two teams, yada, 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 yada. As this game grows, and it will grow, as it grows, it's going to get more and more financially concentrated in certain areas, mainly the premiership. So for all the crying about the premiership, now, if you own a premiership, uh, a premiership rugby club, you'll be sitting pretty in 10 years' time. I mean, the, it will grow, and the French clubs will grow. Those two leagues will be basically the centres of the universe for for rugby no matter what world rugby do 
and no matter how much they try and rebalance the power now, just economies alone mean that those two that those two competitions will eventually be the most powerful entities. I don't think there's much anyone can do about it. So I, I would add to that Six Nations, for Six Nations, and yeah. and like you still got the the All Blacks and and South Africa as um, two huge entities that every time anyone plays them, it, it is a massive spectacle. Like you, New, yeah. New Zealand charge a huge fee to go and play a home nation team or a Northern what, Hemisphere team. What, what happens if everyone decides they don't want to pay the fee to New Zealand? Um, well, they are screwed, so they've got to be very careful about what they do. Well, I think that I think they'll see it as an investment. So the, the RFU might say, "Yeah, okay, it will cost us ten million to get New Zealand over, but we're going to make forty million on that spectacle with with sponsorship, yeah. advertising, gate selling, receipts, selling burgers." It's not and always about that, is it? It's more about the politics, which is, um, yeah, we will. You know, if you if you set that precedence, who's going to ask for it next? Um. Yeah, but it's still, if, if, it's, if it's very profitable, people will continue to Yeah, do and I'm, I'm in favour of people getting their, their value. Yeah, but then what if England then turn around and say, okay, fine, you've charged us a fee, but we know that we are the biggest economy. Um, oh, sorry, not the biggest economy. We, we, you know, we, yeah, basically, they, they are the financial, England are the financial powerhouse of world rugby. If you want us over and the Lions and you want all of our fun, uh, fans to, to, to fill up your stadiums today, we are going to charge you an astronomical. Well, I mean, that's happening. That, that's happening with the Lions now, isn't it? Is this the la- is this the last tour before the deal will be restructured and renegotiated? Because as it stands, the Sanzar nations get it just raking it through the nose, and, and yeah. really very little outlay for a Lions tour. And I think that's going to change. Yeah. So I just think that it's a very dangerous precedent that the that the All Blacks set. Is it all? I mean, if it was. Just as just that one increase in isolation, nothing ever changed. You might say, "Yeah, fine," but everyone wants a piece of the pie. Why won't you know? Wales might decide to demand X, Y, Z. I mean, England can can, can demand it. Well, Probably South Africa can. Yeah, but in it. in a way, you can't have it both ways because either you would want World Rugby to come in and go, "Right, we're going to standardise this, and we're going to redistribute, and we're going to equalise things like match fees and 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 you know." TV revenue and things like that. You, you either standardise it or you let people go and negotiate their own. You can't really be annoyed at both. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah, I, 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 sorry, what, what were we talking uh, <laughs> you, You're getting angry about the, uh, the core values of the game. Oh, yeah, no, core I've values. Done, done that a bit. well how about you know let's let's just quickly jump across so i think you i think what sort of broadly world rugby and the sansar nations are talking and the six nations are talking constructively about a global standardized season which will probably see the six nations move that looks to be the smart money at the minute how about the fact that the pro 14 have got all of their cvc money for their agreed stake which before this covid situation kicked in yeah it's fascinating isn't that absolutely fascinating Mm. Yeah, and I, I was certain there would be a reduction in the value of the the product before that deal went through. Yeah, uh, an amazing outcome for the Pro 14. And I guess that kind of highlights what I was saying about the, the premiership clubs and the strength of rugby. I mean, we're talking about it being financially weak. I don't think it is because of the strength of the owners, and I don't think it is because if those owners go under, if those businesses go under, there'll be fresh owners to pick up the tab. Uh, 
And CBC seems to, di- seems to agree because in the midst of a pandemic when no rugby can be played, they have not gone back on their deal. They have paid the full amount. Interestingly, it wasn't even the biggest deal that CBC concluded that day. They also bought, bought an IT firm, I think. So, um, yeah, so, CBC have been very, very busy. So they spent $120 million on 28% of... Uh, now... I assume, although I've not read this as confirmed, I assume it's the same structure of the deal that the Premiership is, where they're they're basically buying into the future TV revenue, commercial rather, rights, yeah, yeah, commercial rights, rather than purely buying the clubs and the leagues, because it, in the Pro 14 it's even more complicated than in the Premiership because some of the home unions, um, IRFU, SRU, WRU, um, and I assume the Italian. Rugby Union own a stake in the teams that yeah. compete in the league. Yeah. Um, so I assume it is the same structure, but it does. From this, you can work out what the the value of the Pro 14 is and okay. the value of the Premiership is. And will you enlighten us to those values, Philip? I will. The Pro 14 is in totality, or certainly the commercial rights to the Pro 14 is valued at 428 million, and the Premiership is valued at 740 million. Goodness me. So, um, 300. What, what is the amount if you take out Mark Dodson's um, <laughs> annual wage <laughs> at the Scottish Army? It, it was a three year bonus. T- Tim, if you take out Mark Dodson's annual wage, you also take out the brilliant rugby brain. Uh, so, you, you're, yeah, you're massively right. devaluing the, the product, the, yeah. the country, everything. Yeah. Quite right. I, so, can imagine, I can imagine CBC probably looking at the current situation and you know, venture capitalists and people that have got to the sort of position that the people running CVC will have got to are there because they spot opportunities and are, rather than are fearful about situations like this. And I can imagine maybe they're looking at it going, no, we might be able to up our stake in these leagues. If, if, if there's clubs that are struggling and needing a little bit more equity, they might be able to go, all right, we, we, could, yeah. we could maybe up from 28% or whatever. But this is the problem, right? This is the problem I've always had with... Um, oh, dear. Totally. Your phone's overheating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, this is the problem I've had with the CVC deal, and this is why they won't do that. Oh, sorry, they might do a version of that. But they'll never buy an actual club because they don't want any of the losses. They only want the income. Yeah. So when they bought the commercial rights, it just means that they're going to give you some money up front now in order to take your income later. And then when they get a bigger slice of pie, which they, you know, inform us they definitely will do, um, then, okay, yeah, the Premiership will get a slight, or the, or the Premiership so, will get a So it would be like a, um, what CBC have done, it would be like a graduate um, coming out of university and some businessman spotting, oh, I think you could be quite good. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a chunk of money now, but I'll take a slice of all your earnings throughout your whole career. Yes. It's exactly. actually... It's actually very similar to the uh, Nigel Ray Maritoji commercial rights deal, <laughs> <laughs> which some yeah. people, some some accountants might say that yeah. that's overvalued. Some might say it's undervalued. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think it's probably undervalued. It, it may well be, although Maritoji right now is not playing any rugby whatsoever, so um, might not be that val- overvalued right now. Oh, sorry, oh, undervalued right now. I've read a few things. Ollie Lawrence was in the rugby paper today saying he's in the best shape he's ever been in. Uh, there's, a picture of, there's a picture of Owen Farrell doing some kicking practice with his lad. Yeah, the, picture, the picture's quite funny because it actually looks like he's about to 
kick Wait. his kid. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a ball next to him, just out of sight. But Owen Farrell looks absolutely, he looks really impressive. He's got his top off and he he's looking very, very he's looking yeah. ripped, stacked he's looking, and ripped. He's looking in like Johnny May ripped for. Yeah. It's very good. Um, but that's so certain, like you, you'll know this well. There are certain players who, when you've had eight weeks off and you get back to pre season, certain players after five minutes jogging around the pitch are blowing, and you just know you've been on the on the beer, on the takeaways, not doing any training. And there's certain other players who get back and they've looked like they've never been away. They're, they're even fitter than they were at the end of the season, they're in, in better shape. And I, I can't, I can't consider that Owen Farrell is anything other than the latter of those two camps. Yeah, I can't. I mean, this might be a really unfair characterization of Owen Farrell. I can't, I can't imagine he has any, like much else to do. Like, <laughs> I don't mean that in a nasty way, but he doesn't strike me as like Tom Wood. Tom Wood, we know, is a man of many, many hobbies and interests. I don't think I know of anything that Owen Farrell does away from the field. Do you? No. No, I, I, looking back, I've, of all the stuff that I'm aware of, one of the few things I can actually recall seeing Owen Farrell do outside of um, rugby was that picture from a couple of years ago when he went on his, ho- his own stag do dressed as, I think it was an England goalkeeper, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. With goal, goalkeeper gloves taped onto his hands. That's about the only thing I know he does outside I, of rugby. I, I, know, I know for a fact George Ford and his brother Joe are utter rugby nerds. Utter rugby nerds. And maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what he is. Maybe that's what it takes to be as good as, as, good as those boys are. So it's yeah. not just, it's not just in like the real world where, you know, guys like um, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, the nerds rule the world. It's now even in elite <laughs> sport, the nerds are ruling the world as well. Yeah. yeah. With Jamal Ford Robinson as well. He's an actual nerd. Geek. Is he a geek or a nerd? Both. Same, same. I'll have to confirm with him. <laughs> yeah. I think he'd accept both tags. I love his stuff. His videos are brilliant. They are. <laughs> uh, Eddie Jones, uh, sorry, I, I, are we sort of wrapped up on that one? The pro, that was the Pro 14, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, the Pro 14 included a segment about Owen Farrell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, big segment. Quite. Quite. Uh, so Eddie Jones has said he wants to have the free reign of the touchline. What during a match he wants to be able to run up and down like well, shouting can't. like football coaches. He's not allowed to, or is he allowed to? I don't know. You got your technical hang on. You can only go to the technical area. Football football coaches can only go to the technical area. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know. So the only coach I've ever seen outside of the technical area, like really outside of it, uh, was Pat Lamb, and he wasn't even a coach then. He was a player. So, if you remember the final Munster Northampton, you probably obviously you obviously remember that. Obviously, one. he was taken off for some reason, but instead of going off, he supported the lads in his full kit <laughs> from about two two feet away on the touchline as they either defended their try line or they were trying to score. So you can imagine if if you're Munsterman, that must be very confusing because you've effectively got a sixteenth body within eye shot. In the end, the officials had to tell him to move that. He couldn't be there. That's the only time I've seen anything even remotely like that. And Ed, Eddie Jones is normally uh, in the stands, isn't he? Yeah, I yeah. don't know what advantage he'd get from it. 
what he said is he, he said in an ideal world, he'd spend the first half up in the stands, in the gods, you know, assessing patterns and tactics. And then in the second half, he'd spend it in the dugout trying to add something to the guys going on. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say by the time the game is in the second half, your chance to influence it is somewhat limited. Outside of yourself, yeah. you're not going to be much uh, And plus, from what we've learned with him recently, um, like, you know, Ben Young to be on the bench waiting to go on. Hey, Benny, mate, do you want some sweets? <laughs> oh, what, you're going to have a sweet, you fatty? <laughs> he just play mind games with them down there. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Um, what, what, what else was there on your agenda, Phil? You did such a good little list of stuff that's gone on. There's not an enormous amount happening this week. Um, we had uh, George Cruis and um, Alex Good apparently, both heading to Japan. Cruis is interesting because he's still targeting Lions next mm. summer, uh, 2021, and World Cup 2023. So Cruis is 30 years old, so... Um, in three years' time, he'd be 33, which is not uh, unreasonable for a lock. He signed a one-plus-one deal with Panasonic Wild Knights, which is not all that dissimilar to what a few other people have done, or certainly uh, some of the Southern Hemisphere very talented players have done where they've had sabbaticals, either playing or non-playing. Guys like um, Jerome Kano, Dan Carter, Ben Smith of all, and, and Richie McCaw, I think, um, although his was non-playing, um, all in New Zealand, and like guys like Pocock and Bernard Foley in Australia have done those kind of sabbaticals. And in South Africa, it's actually fairly common to play Super Rugby for six months and then play uh, top league in Japan for three, four months of the year to top up your your round. So, Chris, it's interesting, and I think I wonder if we'll see more of those kind of deals where people do oh. stints abroad. Like, look, Haskell did it. Haskell's one of the few one, few English players who did it and then came back and then got back to England. Like cricketers do, where they'll go, oh, I'm going to go do a, this IPL for a few months and then I'll come back to a bit of county cricket before going on an international tour. Yeah. So, yeah. on Chris himself, I mean, there's obviously two big name locks in the British Isles, Alan Wynne-Jones, Mara Toji. And I think they are the bigger names, but I don't think they're necessarily the bigger talents. I think George Curtis is right up there, and in some respects better than both uh, in, cer- in certain aspects of his game. Um, he'll be missed. He'll be missed massively because I think he's essential to England. I think if there's a Lions tour tomorrow, he'll be essential to that. Um, um, I think, I think, I think James Ryan... Oh, sorry, is that a bit of feedback? I think James Ryan would get mentioned as well with those yeah, two. Definitely, definitely James Ryan. In fact, I'd say James Ryan is another one in the level of Atoji and Alan Wynn. They're kind of the next level of fame. But I, I do think that in terms of talent, Cruis is, they're, they're equal. And in some cases, they're better. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't disagree with any of that. I was really I glad to Cruise. see what you, what you said, Phil, that he's still targeting these uh, big milestones because it would it, it, be such a shame if you had to choose between Right, well, I'm going to go and try something else. And that means I've just got to wash my hands of all international ambition. Because as we've pointed out, he's an incredible player. And this particular time right now is such a state of flux for the whole game and the whole world that, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be fair on people that have to make decisions like this. So, yeah, I hope it's not the last time we've seen him in an England jersey, despite the fact he's going to Japan. And he's going to be in a, a lock pairing with Sam Whitelock. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, is he not replacing Sam Whitelock? 
No, I, I think no, he's going to be with him. Same team. Poc- he... Pocock in the same team. Hadley think, Parks no. in the same team. So, so, I thought Hadley Parks. I need to check this, but I thought Hadley Parks and Curious came over at the same time to replace Whitelock and somebody else who leave. So Whitelock, I think, will be playing um, Super, hey, super oh. Rugby whenever that does start again. But I think he'll be... So right now, we should be towards the business end of Super Rugby. So when later in this year, when Super Rugby would end, I think they'll be playing on the same team together. There's not, not, not many club sides other than, uh, I guess, Saracens when Cruz and Itojo were playing can boast um, a second row pairing of that calibre. So here's a thought for you. A few years ago, I think everyone would say that England were absolutely uh, blessed with locks. And to the degree they are, but you would talk about Lordsbury, uh, Atwood. Laws. Laws, of course, of course. Now, Laws is getting on a bit. Itoji is in his prime. The cruising is probably he's going. Who is the next logical uh, replace? Who's the next lo- logical replacement for Cruz? Johnny Hill. Mm, I, I I like Johnny Hill, but it doesn't sound him. right, does it? It doesn't sound like he's the he's the next cab off the rank. No, he, he's been involved in the England squads, um, in and around them. I mean, Charlie Ewells, not not for me. Not for me. Ezekwe, um, he's been involved. Yeah, Ezekwe involved for about 25 minutes. Um, Dave John... Ribbons. Ribbons is good. Is he all South African, though? Uh, born in South Africa, English qualified. Is it I believe. Moon they were, that they were looking at in Northampton? Alex Moon, that's another one who's been involved. Yeah. I'm just looking at who, who was in the, the last. Yeah, Alex Moon. So the last. Um, Six Nations squad with those guys we just mentioned. Itoji, Laws, Launchbury, Cruis, Ewells, and Moon. Why, why you need six um, second rows? I guess Itoji and Laws both place. But, but they all sort of aged at the same. So if you rewind maybe three years ago, Cruz could go, but I don't think he can, though. Or it's going to be a lot harder. There'll be, there'll be other guys coming through, but like the, um, the Kapoku boys from Saracens. Who, who basically who re-signed today? Yes, was it Joel? One of them, yeah, definitely one of them, confirmed as re-signed. See? But yeah, you're right. There's not of the guys coming through. There's not a James Ryan type type guy coming through that I'm aware of. No, there's not. It's a good point. Well, it's a, it's a fair point. Uh, Wasps have um, signed a lock. I can't remember his name, but he basically said. Um, I'm coming to... Uh, he signed from France, somewhere in France. He was being coached by Joel Abt. So where was he? My, I can't remember. Anyway, but he, he said, I'm coming to get a starting spot and, and, and to challenge Joe, Joe Launchbury at every level. I can't remember the guy's name. Mark, no. Anyway, I'll, I'll try and remember that. But um, another... Well, not lock, but another forward that's... Well... Could play. Definitely could play lock. Definitely could play a lot. Peter Steph to toy. He is, um, he's now staying with the team that he just resigned from. Was this just a ploy to, to get the cash he's worth without, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. What's going on? It's, it's certainly a rebuttal of him accepting a pay cut <laughs> because 
there, there are players, some players have more power than others. Um, it is a meritocracy after all. Um, yeah. and I'm surprised he doesn't have more power. He's amazing. Well, he clearly does have quite a lot of power because he got asked to fall in line with everyone else and it looks like he said uh, no <laughs> and, uh, and got away with it. So it wasn't a case of storming out of a party but then having to come back because you left your corkies. Well, that's not my read of it. it it's possible. Um, my, but I, I would have thought even in this cash-strapped time that um, if Peter Steph the Toy's signature was available... There would have been a number of bid- bidders who would have gone. Crikey, yes, crikey, yeah. Any, any, any club in the Premiership or in France, he would, I think he would love the Northwest. <laughs> I do. I just think it's. He'd love the exchange up. rate of the rand to the uh, to the pound. The pound. <laughs> love that. He fit in very well. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So is is this weekend coming? The weekend when we've got the the inter regional or inter New Zealand games starting. Ah, good question. It's got a name, hasn't it? Ateria or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Let's where how am I gonna find out where when those games are on? It's been so long since I've looked up a rugby fixture, I've almost forgotten how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the test? Oh, there was a name for the test that Bowden Barrett turned up at his new club and just abs- at the Blues and just absolutely nailed. Bron- it was the Bronco test. Bronco. Was... I- I'm gonna f- right. You find out the fixtures. I'm gonna find out yeah. what Bronco is. I know this because we do it at Talk H. I mean, obviously, I don't do it, but some of us <laughs> in Talk H do do this. What is it? The Bronco test. Some some form of voting. <laughs> oh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the Bronco test is a measurement of aerobic endurance. Players run shuttles of 20 metres, 40 metres and 60 metres five times over as quickly as possible. So you go 20, 40, 60, 20, 40, 60, 20, 40, 60, five times. Ooh. After having, yeah, Bowden, and Bowden Barrett sets a fitness record in his first training session. <clears throat> I mean, wow. I mean, he, he'll know a load of the top names anyway, but that is like proper, we were talking about you know, uh, George Ford and Owen Farrell and great rugby players being nerds. That is a kind of nausy thing to do. Turn up. Oh, yeah. Hi, new teammates. I'm going <laughs> to rinse you all on my first day. Oh, training over the summer. No, I've just, I've been kicking back with a few beers. Exactly. <laughs> I have what these old things. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's a bit like a bleep test, but it's, it's, it's not the same. Out and back, out and back, out and back. Lots of that. Yeah, yeah. why don't you run a distance? 
It's because the change of direction takes it out of your legs. Yeah. And you never run 5K when you're playing rugby. You might run 5K in total over 80 minutes, but you never run it in 20 minutes. Right. So have a guess. Uh, get, uh, do you know Bowden Barrett's time, JB? I have no idea what's a good time. Do you know it, Phil? I don't know. Okay, so it is 20 metres, 40 metres, 60 metres, five times over. Has he got the same sort of time as that girl on, um, on Twitter who ran, who ran 5K in 12 minutes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Using the, Stra- using the Strava. And pause. Pause feature. Yeah, Ross, <laughs> so Ross Barkley did that. <laughs> Um, oh, really? Oh, Ross yeah. Barkley did a yeah. He did um his five k, fifteen minute five k. But it was pausing it every. Uh, uh, he might have been four hundred or eight. No, no, he was yeah. He was doing no. He what he was actually doing was shuttles. He did five kilometers in total, but he did them in shuttle yeah. sprints. But and but only counted it. the active time. Yeah, because yes. Stra- Strava uh, uh, with, Str- Strava takes the active time. So when you're stood still recovering, yeah, it will take that out of the time and and it will give you your active time. So Ross Barkley did five kilometres in sprints in about an hour and a half, but his 5K <laughs> time was 15 like minutes. 15 minutes. <laughs> so I, I have seen, there's, there's quite a good uh, Twitter handle called Strava Wankers. Yes, I saw that. That's where I, that's where I saw it. That's yeah. quite good fun. And they, they were doing something to basically Ross Barkley a 5K as fast as you possibly can. So just do... 100 meter sprints absolutely flat out down a big hill and and continue that and get like a an eight minute 5k time how would you best do that it would be flat so you need to be running a distance where you can go absolutely flat out for that distance and then stop and have two minute rest so do 100 meters and then a two minute rest but yeah, yeah what, uh, or, or, or a three minute rest as you walk back up the really steep hill you've just pegged it down. yeah exactly What's the gradient? What is the best gradient for that? Because uh, there is a gradient where it's too steep to run. Yes. Um, well, I, I guess if you were um, you sky, if you're skydiving, you're going pretty fast, aren't you? Yeah. So I guess it's got to be a, a grassy hill, because if you want top speed, you don't want to be going down like a concrete road or a decline. <laughs> Gravel burns. Oh God, though. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I must have this wrong exactly what it is, but Bowden Barrett, the record time he got was four minutes and twenty or something like that. So, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how many. Oh, so this says runs from a start. So, twelve hundred meter shuttle test involved running to and from a start line. Ah, uh, so it's, uh, so you're running backwards and forwards. So it's that's why it's twelve hundred meters, not six hundred meters. So you run. 20 then back oh of course 40 then back 60 then back five times without a break yeah bronco test so that is is 1200 meters ah right three, okay. three laps of an athletics track but yeah but but no momentum having to stop and change direction because yeah. the, the stop and start does kill you so I, I did my opening kilometer of my 5k in three three thirty one, which i Obviously, I can do faster than that if I do it flat out, but to then continue going, um, I, knew I can't do it that much faster than that, just doing it flat out, in all honesty. Um, so I'd say, so this is 50% longer than that, and you've got stops in. Oh, Yeah, that's disgusting. Oh, sorry, it's, it's 20% longer than that, and you've got stops in. Um, I don't know. You've always- four, and a, four and a half to five minutes, something like that. 
four, four minute forty. Yeah, he did it in four twenty. Four twenty, bloody hell. Yeah. So Fair I don't know where the, I don't know where the name Bronco is from. I'm going to assume it's a rugby league thing. Yeah. I assume it's going to be Broncos from Australia somewhere. That's yeah. But have you ever done Malcolm's? No. What's, a, what's Malcolm? I, th- I thought you would have, Tim. We did it with Brock Park all the time, which is on, on your chest from the halfway line, up to the 10 metre line, down, down oh, on your chest, yeah. back over the halfway line to the other 10 metre, on your chest, up. Yeah, the, 22, 22, try line, try line. Yeah. 22, 22. No, 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 it's, it's, it's more compact than, than that. Oh, okay. So it's halfway, so chest up hot from, from halfway. Yeah. 10 meter chest up down. So you're the 10 meter up down, and then you finish back on the halfway. But with and your chest touching the ground every time. Yeah, except for when you run through. And that is Malcolm. I can't remember who, what his surname is, but he was a fitness coach from rugby league, and that's where Malcolm's, Malcolm's come from. We used to do one with um, a guy called Mark Henry, who was uh, his Canberra. Oh, the wrestler. Not the wrestler. <laughs> what, what, the wide receiver for the... Former Welsh... Was, was he world's strongest man at one point? Or he had the, <laughs> he had the, like the de- deadlift world record or something? Diff- different Mark Henry, who was... What, uh, he, not, he played, not, not the receiver for the Bengals, no? Not the receiver for the Bengals. He played for Canberra Raiders. He then played for Salford Reds. And he was, at one stage, um, the Cowboys' um, strength and conditioning coach. Ooh. But he, he did a stint with us for a season. And he did... So it was 20 meter returns flat out. But the worst thing about it was you, you buddied up and he would bring 20 stopwatches and your partner would time you for every single one. And so they were, it was timing your drop off. So if your first 20 meter return was, I can't remember the times now, if it was 5.1 seconds, you had to get 5.1 seconds 10 times in a row. Or like your, but he would gauge your fitness by how much you were dropping off. So some people would go from 5.1, 5.1, 5.2, 5.3, 5.3, 5.3, 5.4, and like a very slow, gradual drop-off. But some people do the first five, 5.1, 5.2, and then the last five at like 6.5, 6.6, and then you know you're in for a, a bit of extra fitness. Did some people go deliberately slow on the first one? But then you've still got the competition, yeah. because if you're an outside back you want to be the fastest outside back. So there's no, like the way it was done, there was no hiding place. Like yeah. n- not even on a single one. It was just it was brutal, but it was a really good way of pushing everyone. God, I hate preseason. <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite times of year, partly because I was never injured during preseason. I could, yeah. uh, I was tempted to do um, a Murph this weekend. I think I'm going to do one this, this week. It, the, the, well, it's a CrossFit workout, but what's that? One mile run, followed by 100 pull-ups, 200 press-ups, 300 Have lunges or something like that. 300 bodyweight squats. Bodyweight squats. Then, so a mile, I, I, then a mile run to finish. So I've done this a few times. So I did it. So the first couple of times I did it, I did, I think, just under an hour. But that was doing everything sequentially. As in yeah, doing, you, you don't, yeah, as in not starting the press ups until you've done 100 pull ups. Correct. Yeah. And it is way harder doing that. Yeah, it's I did way it, harder. I did it the week before lockdown, actually, coincidentally. How, how, how else would you do it? You could do like, like 10 pull ups, 20 press ups, 30 squats, and do it like that. 
Yeah, or do it cycles until you've done them all. Yeah, or do it however you want. You can however you want. If you just run, well, as soon as you can't do any more pull-ups, you can have a breather. You could do all three hundred squats in the middle to give your upper body a bit of a breather. However you want to do it. Yeah, and I got I can't remember the exact. Thing. It was about forty-four minutes doing it like that. I think forty-four minutes. Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah, it was, it was about forty. I love the time somewhere. So I've been doing a hundred pull-ups a day. Right, but humble brag. Yeah, but <laughs> every time I come off the bar, I've got to do seven, seven press-ups. Right. So if you come up off the bar, if you do one, you want to do uh, one hundred lots of seven. You want to do uh, basically seven hundred, seven hundred press-ups. So that's how I measure how well I'm doing by the amount of press-ups that that I'm doing. So today I did hundred pull-ups and about hundred and eighty eighty press-ups. Yeah, that, that, that reminds me of um, a workout I did at the CrossFit place we used to go to, JB, where it, I think the workout was as simple as 100 pull-ups. Or no, it was always like, um, it was like a bar hang, a total, accumulate a total of 15 minutes bar hang or 20 minutes bar hang, whatever it is. Yeah, but, yeah. Every, but every time you drop down, you have to run 400 meters. So you're sort of oh, in that, it, I can't remember exactly what it was. It might have been pull-ups. I might have done both, but it was, the, it was that mind game you play where you're like, Oh my god, I'm I'm so dead. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to run again. Um, <laughs> and I remember getting to one second before it was a bar hang one, and it was I got to one second before I would have been finished, and my fingers oh. and I just went off, and I had to do a whole another four hundred meters just to before I could come back and do my one second bar hang. Uh. Did anyone watch? God, this is going back years. Did anyone watch? There was a reality TV show on ITV twenty years ago called. I think it's called Survivor or something like that. We were on a desert island. Yeah. And one of the challenges was, was hanging from a, from a bar. And there was a guy who was like a, an ex-Marine or ex-RAF type guy who like comfortably had it. He had to hang for two minutes and he wins the challenge. And he's so comfortable that with about 30 seconds to go, he starts showboating oh, yeah. and doing some, some chin-ups and after doing like five chin-ups, he immediately realizes, oh my God, what have I done? I've just burnt my last energy. And with two seconds to go, drops <laughs> off, falls into the ocean and fails the task for his team. <laughs> Hubris. Yeah, exactly. Get you. Uh, my, my time for Murph um, a couple of months ago was 44 minutes, 10 seconds. That's good going. Which was, was doing, and it was in blocks of 10. Is that a, was tension. that a strict strict pull-ups or the uh, the, am, the, cheat, the cheat CrossFit pull-ups? Uh, I don't do kipping pull-ups or anything. I, They're I not can't. pull-ups, really, are they? Yeah, I, I do, but I wasn't wearing a weighted vest for it. But I was doing strict pull-ups. Um, although I was I actually did that in the gym, so I was doing um, lateral uh, neutral grip rather than um, either front or back. Yeah, which I find that slightly easier. So maybe I'm cheating because of that. But yeah, 44-10. A bit ago. Look at all this toxic masculinity going on on this podcast right now. <laughs> right, I'm going to uh, bring this back, back to Ruby because I've got a very, very short quiz. Oh, yes. Go on. What? Yeah, very short, very short indeed. One question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you names of rugby players and you've got to tell me what they have in common. Right? Okay. And the first person, person to, to get it wins. I'll just carry on reading them until he, until he gets what it is okay. Rob okay. Andrew people uh, that have been in managers at uh, management uh, uh, at RFU 
Right, and if you guess and you get it wrong, you can't go until the other guy. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob Andrew. Ross Batty. Callum Clark. Rory Clegg. Uh, Newcastle Falcons players. Are they all Newcastle Falcons players? They might be. Because Callum not... Clark might not. But that is oh, not... I... That's not I, so I know. I, I know. You're not going to say anything, so shut up. <laughs> uh, Carl Dixon. Lee Dixon. I know. Fuck. Alex Gray. Okay, they've all... Hold on. Be careful, because I think he knows. Go on. Ben Jones. Uh, Howard Marshall. Uh, Alex Tate Matthew Tate Rory Underwood Come on Tim Tony Underwood Can I go now? <laughs> Tim Visser oh. Right I'm, I'm going to guess God. Uh, These are people Pupils who attended Bernard Castle <laughs> Yes That is correct Well done <laughs> And the miss, missing Toby Flood I'm sure he was a Bernard Castle boy No he wasn't He went to Is it King David's Because ah. um, I know uh, I know the chap who played Scrum half For him Who is a, a a dreadful, dreadful passer of the ball. One of the worst. It's, it's, it's why it's why Toby Flood is such such a good player because he had the worst service from, from his schoolboy number nine. So, does anyone know why I'm familiar with Barnard Castle? You, you you were up there at that. Um, you lived up in Richmond, didn't you? Are you, uh, are you aware of that, Tim? Oh yeah, I, I know. You got offered a job. In Richmond, thought, oh, I'll have that. Saturday afternoons by the river, stroll to Twickenham for the big matches, and yeah. you didn't realise it was Richmond in North Yorkshire. Yeah, I literally sat in a boardroom. I accepted a promotion, and my boss said, yep, we've got an office in Richmond. I was like, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Why, why wouldn't I? Shook hands on the deal, and as we stood up, he was right, Get, uh, meet me tomorrow at 7am. We'll be driving to Yorkshire. I think what the hell are we going to Yorkshire for? <laughs> and uh, in the car, it dawned on me, we were on the motorway on the M62 when I realised he was going to Richmond, North Yorkshire. And I spent six months there. No, less than that. I, I arrived there in April. And I, was out, I left my job there in, say, September. Maybe even earlier than that, actually. So I couldn't even play rugby. I wanted to play for Darlington. So I, even, I think I went to one Darlington game where they had the last ever game against Oral, the old Oral, before it uh, became, became defunct. So that was a little bit historic. That was the only socialising I did. I lived above a stable. Uh, I had no friends. I, I, there, I, there was nowhere to make any friends. The only places <laughs> I could go at night, sometimes I'd go to RAF leaving to watch, to watch aeroplanes uh, take off. Other times I'd spend an hour in Tesco walking around aimlessly. There was nothing to do in Richmond. <laughs> and the worst part about it was, 
I was dropped off there. Like, what were you boys doing when you were 22? Uh, studying, working, playing rugby. I was, yeah, I was doing post-grad studying in, ba- in Bath. Yeah, so when I was 22, I'd been promoted from basically an administration job by an absolute buffoon. My old boss was an utter buffoon. Not surprisingly, <laughs> he ended up in St. James's Place. Um, <laughs> this buffoon right, decided to send me without any experience whatsoever and put me in office, age 22, in charge of an, an administrator and a secretary. I'd never made a sales call in my life. Put me in a, in a room full of folders and said, phone every one of these and try and sell them financial products. I was like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I was opening up old files, right? Uh, of, this is the interesting bit. Whoever was working where I was working before I, w- I was, was working with footballers. And they were raising money and setting up, um, more, setting up mortgages, effectively, to pay off gambling debts. Wow. Yeah. So I had a load of footballers' files <laughs> just to pay off gambling debts. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so unsurprisingly, no, no. Yeah, unsurprisingly I, last, I lasted about four weeks there before the boss. Like, uh, how come you, as an administrator, 22-year-old administrator, can't manage these two 40-year-old women and haven't made me a load of money yet? Oh, I can't think of <laughs> <laughs> and then you came back to Manchester. And I came back to Manchester. And but the rest of history. I should have been by the river. It's my own stupid fault. <laughs> wow. And that's near, that's near Barnard Castle, then, I take yeah, it. Sorry, and that's the reason. And that's, and that's the other thing I do. RF leaving Tesco or Barnard Castle for a walk. <laughs> by, the river, by the river, making sure not to bump into anyone. Yeah. And the only other place I could really go was. Um, Ah, oh, you've heard about it. Uh, Yarm. Yarm. I've, Yarm. I've been, been drinking around Yarm. Well, I couldn't even go drinking because I wasn't earning enough to afford the taxi home and it was <laughs> bloody miles away. So I had to drive there, have a pint and drive back alone. You're, um, you're very good to have one pint and drive on the, the roads up there. Oh, crikey. Not for me, mate. Not for, not for me. So yeah, that is, that, is my, that is why I'm familiar with the town of Barnard Castle. So. I tell you what, the, the PR for Barnard Castle, their, their tourism board must be absolutely <laughs> loving it this weekend. Yeah, I want to read the um, I want to read the reviews for, for Barnard Castle because I bet there are some cracking reviews after, after this weekend. I bet it's been hammered. Oh, I hadn't even <laughs> thought of that. That's a great shout. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about Barnard Castle now, so I I think unless anyone's got any any more rugby stuff to say, we should wrap this up. Um, no, no, no more any other business from me. Just, just to to mention the um, next week's homework, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. We've had a week off homework. We've had a bit of a lazy week this week, haven't we? But that's fine. Yeah, other things to concentrate on. Yeah, you know, like being outraged on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, so this is going to be a tough one for for a lot of us, I think. Well, certainly for me and Phil. Yeah. Less so for JB. So the game we are going to look at next week, which we're asking you to watch for your homework and then we'll review next week, is the 2015 World Cup match between England and Wales. The famous Chris Robshaw quote, we always back ourselves at home match. Oh, Chris. We are going to have a field day with this. Oh. An absolute field day. So there is a full video of it on YouTube, which I will post uh, in a link on our Twitter account. So twitter.com forward slash 
rugby podcast. Go and have a look. I'll make sure the link is there. You've got a week to watch it. And yeah, there's so much in this game. There's uh, this this the Sam Burgess. Was he was he really at fault? Was he the scapegoat? He should should he was he a legitimate scapegoat that he became? Did Stuart Lancaster get the tactics really that wrong? Yes. Should England yeah. have kicked for the posts or gone for the corner at the end? Ugh. So many, so many great stories. So many. I mean, the amount of stories linked to this game is just incredible. The amount of performances. That I mean, oh, it's a great game. It is a great game. Just maybe, just the bad fortune of England. Well, was it bad fortune or was it ineptitude? I guess we can we can to lose against two scrub halves, one on the wing. Is I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, 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 I can't wait to watch this. I'm actually excited. <laughs> I, I think I've, I've never rewatched it. I couldn't bring myself to rewatch it. Same. I, I was absolutely blind drunk when I watched it as well. Um, so I, I, I've still got very hazy <laughs> memories of it. You might want to make, build some sort of Twitter playlist, Twitter, uh, YouTube playlist, like for instance, the Always Back Ourselves at Home video. Yeah, the <laughs> advert. You might want to review the advert. You might want to look at all of Sam Burgess's games. Paloma Faith's song, World in Union. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet, don't forget the amazing, the amazing performance that they've done bigger. I, I can't remember anything. I couldn't have even told you if it was done bigger playing at 10. So I, I've, got to tell, I've got to tell this as well. I didn't actually see Wales go ahead. I was watching it at Broughton Park and I was so dejected by the score that I packed up and left. And it was like, oh, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> Got home, turned on the TV and Wales were winning. Did, did yeah. you then get a taxi back to Broughton Park? Broughton <laughs> <laughs> Park, actually. Hi, guys. I did. <laughs> Me again. <laughs> I, I, will, I will confess that I actually quite enjoyed it when in the football World Cups and European Championships, I got to a point where England were that. It was, I, I used to care so little. I'd actually quite enjoy England losing. Oh, Tim. I know that's a shameful thing to say, but I found it quite funny when England lost to Iceland. I thought that was, I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> but this, like on the flip side of the coin, I can un- this game made me understand how hugely passionate England football fans must have felt at every major tournament for the last 40-odd years because uh, this was so painful. It was awful, wasn't it? At it home. Was- at home. Was it as painful as the Australia game, though? I was I was at the Australia game. I mean, that, the Australia game was just... It was, just got rinsed in that one, didn't we? The, the, yeah. The, was, was it? Was it? It, it didn't fire a shot, England. It was, it was just awful. It was, te- it was a terrible game, that. I, I want to say that I, I'm going to call it the Foley try. I know it's Curtly Beal, but the way they, they picked them, so close, like in the first, what, five minutes or something? Uh, Beal, Beal, Foley and someone else, a lovely little kind of round the corner move, bam, 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 and then... Uh, was, it Adam, was it Adam Asher Cooper? Could well have been. Anyway, yeah. all of this and more to yeah. come. Yeah, all I remember is I had to host the uh, the Manchester fan zone uh, <laughs> in town, which, um, I mean, Manchester, as you know, is a city that does not care for rugby particularly anyway, but when England <laughs> are doing badly and I have to try and make a whole day, day's worth of content out of a ghost town of a fan village, that was uh, like pulling teeth. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> Anyway, yes, we'll do that. So we're at Rugby Podcast on Twitter. Go and find that. He's at Jay Beardmore. I'm at Cocker. You know Phil. He's lurking in the swamp. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.